Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Perhaps many of you that are here this morning can remember as far back as the 1970s, there was an evangelism campaign called Here's Life, America. It was a multi-million dollar campaign that went into 250 metropolitan markets, and it recruited the participation of uh, thousands of people to reach the unsaved with the gospel. This is the campaign's slogan. I found it. Does that ring a bell with anyone? That phrase appeared just about everywhere. I can remember it. It was mostly it was on the bumper of millions of cars belonging to church members of that participating church. And I think the Billy Graham organization also tried to help push that as well. That campaign, even though it was well-intentioned, was not particularly successful, at least as far as winning people to Jesus goes. Now, studies over the years uh, determined that in spite of the millions of dollars spent <coughs> and all of the materials <coughs> and all of the churches involved, Here's Life America had virtually no measurable impact on church membership in the United States. Now, there are no doubt many reasons, and studies have shown why. Uh, I'm only going to speculate on one reason. I think it has to do with the slogan, I found it. I think the word it is the problem. See, it is supposed to refer to life, but I don't think that's the message the unchurched heard. To them, I think it meant religion. It meant a philosophy to live by. It meant a new set of rules and regulations. The truth is, is that the last thing we need to tell the world is that you'll come here and find it. Now, that's because we don't have an it to supply to the world. We have a who. And today the world needs to hear about a who and not about an it. And the lesson we need to learn again and again is that the Christian life centers entirely upon a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't ask people to come and accept family values into their heart to receive Lord, their Lord and Savior. We don't ask people to join a political party. We don't ask people to join a particular organization. Instead, we just invite people to come and know Jesus the Christ personally. Now, that's the big difference between what many people think of as religion and what Christianity really is. Now, I've taught it this way for many years. You see that that religion is spelled D-O. Religion is all about what you do in order to, you know, you've got to go find it. You've got to do this. You've got to keep all these commandments. <clears throat> when in reality, Christianity is all about a relationship. It's a personal relationship with God through Jesus. And that is spelled D-O-N-E. It's all been done for you by Jesus on the cross. Now, if you or anyone else tries to make this anything else, your spiritual life is going to suffer. When the church tries to make Christianity into anything else, the church begins to lose its ability to make a difference in our culture. In other words, when we lose sight of Jesus... We've lost sight 
of what we're here for. <coughs> we see this in today's text as the first few men sign on to become disciples. <coughs> Excuse me, this is the first time I really talked a lot in the last ten days. I may cough a little bit yet this morning. In this passage of scripture, I think we learn three things about what it really means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus the Christ. And there's three things we need to know and understand, and this is the first of these, and that is that Jesus is seeking you more than you are seeking him. Now, in addition to the I found it slogan, you often hear people say things like, I found God or I found Jesus. Uh, and there's some subtle implication that Jesus was running around over there somewhere else uh, in some remote place. Maybe he was in Kazakhstan or something. You know, maybe maybe Jesus was even hiding somewhere. And it, we got the general idea. We're kind of running all over playing like, where's Waldo? Only this is called, where's Jesus? <coughs> and we're hoping that we're going to somehow figure out where Jesus is and, and, and know that he's just waiting for us to find him like we have some, playing some sort of a cosmic heavenly game of hide and seek. But that's not the way it is at all. God is not off somewhere out there. In the distance, he's not in a galaxy far, far away uh, waiting for us to find him. He, he's actually looking for you. Uh, he's seeking you, and he's actually always moving in your direction. In our text today, in verses 35 to 38, it said, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus said to these people, what is it you want? Now, what was Jesus doing there? Jesus was beginning to move in their direction. They had heard what John the baptizer had said about him. They were intrigued. They were interested. They began following him at a distance, kind of watching this Jesus, wondering about this Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, in effect, come on, boys, let's get to know each other better. See, Jesus asked them a question that I think he often asks a lot of people. We see it in Mark 10 when Jesus spoke to a blind beggar. He asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I think that's a question that Jesus asks all of us. What is it you want? What do you want? What do you want from life? What are you looking for? Are you looking for happiness? Are you looking for success? Or are you looking for comfort? What is it you are looking for? Now, these two men who had been following Jesus from a distance didn't answer his question directly. They kind of answered it indirectly when they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? In response to that question, Jesus says, what do you want? Why do you want to know? Uh, and he said, we, we think we want to, it's kind of like, we think we want to know you better. We, we want to know more about you. Now, what was Jesus' response to that? Well, he said, okay, come. Come and you will see. And it says, so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. You know, suddenly so being a follower of Jesus has not changed since, you know, John chapter 1. This is still how it works. When we, through the pull of the Holy Spirit move in his direction, he begins to move in our direction. He invites us to know him. He invites us even to spend the day with him. He, he wants us to come and see what 
he's all about. He wants us to see what it really means to have a friend in Jesus. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Draw near to God, and then what? And he will draw near to you. As you begin to move in God's direction, he moves in your direction. He's seeking you more than you are. He, he is seek, Then you're seeking him, and he wants you to come and experience him for all he is. See, this principle is also talked about in our text today. It says the next day they decide to go to Galilee, and then it says, Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Now, I, I like that John specifically used the word finding. I mean, literally, Jesus went to Galilee looking for Philip. And he found Philip, and there he invited him to follow him. Now, again, I want you all to know that Jesus is looking for you. He is always moving in your direction. Now, some of you may remember this. My grandma used to have a pair of little Scotty dogs, a black one and a white one. They were magnets. And when you start to push them together, one would turn away. I sometimes think that's kind of the way we are. Jesus is coming towards you, and we just like, we do the opposite. Here he comes, we go that way. That's why I say Jesus is always following us far more than we are following him. He's moving in your direction. He's not off in the distance. He's not hiding behind a tree. He's not down in a cave somewhere. He's right here where you are. He's moving in your direction, and he's inviting you to come and see what it's like to have this wonderful friend. Like that hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. But I want you to remember something here, and I'm going to take you back to Luther's small catechism for a moment. And I hope maybe you remember this. It's something that Luther said. He said, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord. What Luther is saying, that you in and of yourself are incapable of coming. He said, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But, here it comes, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. When we hear the word, when we hear Jesus' teaching, when we are enlightened by his gifts, when we are sanctified, then we are brought in. For anyone ever to say, you know, uh, for example, that song, I I have decided to follow Jesus, guess what? You didn't do that without the Holy Spirit's prompting. Otherwise, you could say that you were part of your own salvation and you are not. For by grace are you saved through faith, it says. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Most of us here probably are. Maybe you've forgotten that this is what the Christian life is really all about. And so that's why I always want to encourage people. Spend time with Jesus. Get acquainted with him all over again. I mean, read stories about him. I mean, think about what they tell you about him. I mean, talk to him like you would talk to a friend. We're reading a wonderful book in these last couple of weeks on prayer written by Tim Keller. And it's beginning to alter some of the way that I think about praying. Because he says, how does God speak to us if he does not speak to us through his word? We actually hear him speak to us out of the Bible. And then he asks us to speak back to him. And if this is God's language as he speaks to us, maybe we need to alter our language as we speak back to him. To speak back the words that he would want to hear. He wants to know you. That's why he says, come and see. But here's the second thing. Jesus can see the person that you will become, not just the person you are today. Now, I know there are a lot of people who say, I've arrived. 
That's why we, some people, when they reach a certain age, they say, well, I'm retired. Now it's time for somebody else to do the work. Now, you know, friends, retire is what you do at night. Reenlist is what you do in the morning. Uh, you know, at best, you only reposition yourself and refresh yourself. Think about verses 40 to 42 again of our text. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. Now, I think most of us know about Simon Peter. His exploits are well documented in the gospel. He had kind of a penchant for saying and doing the wrong thing, as well as a penchant for saying and doing the right thing. Of course, the one thing that everybody remembers is when Jesus was arrested, Simon was accused of being one of his followers, and he denied that he ever even knew Jesus, not just once, not twice, but he did it three times. Now, I want you to realize here that Jesus did not say, you are Simon and you are going to mess up a lot in these next three years. Every time you say something smart, you're going to follow it up by saying something stupid. You're going to take a couple of steps out of the water and then you're going to get so full of yourself that you're going to start to sink. And at times you are going to be so petty and so argumentative and even violent. And worst of all, when the going gets tough, you're going to bail out and you're going to be a coward and you're going to be disloyal. And so I'm going to give you a new name. I am going to call you Simon the Flip-Flopper. Now, could you imagine Jesus saying that? You know, it would have been true, but that's not what it says. Instead, in verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, a quick word of explanation here. Since John is written for a Greek audience, he often uses Greek names and Greek terms, which he defines for his readers. And so Cephas is the Greek word for Peter. Now, what's the significance of the name of Cephas or Peter? Well, it means rock. Now, Jesus didn't just give the name Simon Peter because those two words kind of sound cool together. In the Bible, people are given names that mean something. For example, remember Jacob and Esau? Well, Jacob actually means conniver or, or weasel or liar or cheater. What a name. Time for supper, little weasel. Time for supper, you little cheater. Come to supper now, you little liar and conniver. But then when he wrestled with Jesus, when he wrestled with the angel of God, he got a new name and he was called Israel. And Israel means he who prevails with God. You remember the story about Abram and Sarai? Before they ever became Abraham and Sarah. Well, Abram meant exalted father. But God changed his name to Abraham, which meant father of the na- of a multitude. See, both of these name changes defined who these men were to become. And at this moment, Jesus was actually defining Peter. He would say, you are not Simon the, the fisherman or Simon son of John. No, you are a rock. Now, if you read the text very closely, it's kind of interesting. John says simply that Jesus looked at Simon. But the Greek word is a little bit stronger than that. The Greek word is actually emblepine. It means to 
look with concentration. It literally means to stare, to focus. And so you, 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 what you really get here is that Jesus stared into the eyes of Peter, locked eyes with him, and said, Peter, this is who you are. You are a rock. And guess what? He was right. Simon was a great leader in the early church. He preached on Pentecost, and what happened? Thousands of people were saved. He prayed, and people were healed. He courageously faced opposition. He endured suffering, and he ultimately gave his life, as he, as tradition says, was crucified upside down for his, for his life of the gospel. He became a rock-solid man of God. But I want, I want to go back and make this point again, is that, that Jesus believed in Simon's potential long before Simon had ever done anything great. Jesus saw the man that Peter would become long before he became that man. The true is the same is true of you. Jesus sees you according to your potential as well. He doesn't just judge you based on who you are today or what you've done recently. He always, and I, I want to say always, because I don't want anybody to say, well, hold it, I'm retired. Don't be throwing me into this. But I'm going to say he always sees who you can be in the future. And guess what? He will even call you by name. Now, when you read the Bible and you hear God saying things like, you can be holy. Be holy, even as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Or you can be like Jesus. Or you are more than conquerors. Or you can live above sin. Or you can live above your problems. Or you can accomplish great things, for all things are possible. All of those kinds of things. Know that these are things that God speaks to his people. And that ought to be you if you are a Christ follower. And he is speaking them to you today, so you better listen to him. Now I want you to imagine for a moment, what name might he give you? What name might he give you? Now, you might sit there and be thinking, well, you know, I have absolutely no self-control. But maybe he would say, no, you are the disciplined one. Or maybe you see yourself as being hopelessly disorganized, but he will call you focused on every detail. Or you might consider yourself to be a quitter, but he will call you a completer. See, Jesus has a name for you, I believe, that is based on the person that he can help you become. Now, you may never hear Jesus actually call you that name, but maybe other people will come up to you and they will actually give you that name. I mean, you are one rock-solid person. Or you're one of the most faithful prayer warriors I've ever met. Or you are one of the most joy-filled people I've ever come into contact with. People will give you that name as they have received it as well. He doesn't see you only as you are today. He sees the person that you can always become. And the third thing is here is that Jesus is just getting started with you. That's again why I'm saying no fair bailing out and saying, well, I'm retired. He's just getting started with you. Going on, the text said, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, I want to point out something kind of interesting here in the text. You know, when Jesus told him, when Nathaniel said, how did you know me? 
And Jesus said, well, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Why did Nathanael respond with this, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you're the King of Israel? Well, I'll tell you that if you don't know your Old Testament, you don't know the answer. But when the Messiah comes, every man will have his own, what? Fig tree. And so here's Nathanael under his fig tree. And Jesus says, I saw you under your fig tree. He's like, oh my gosh, this is the Messiah. And see, just like he recognized Nathanael, Jesus knows you inside out. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. He knows where where you were yesterday. He knows where you will be the rest of today. He knows all about you. And guess what? He loves you, and he wants to be your friend, and he wants to accomplish great things through you. In verses 50 to 51, Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Then I I love it. He said, You're going to see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, you know what he's actually saying to Nathaniel? He's saying, You haven't seen anything yet. I'm just getting started with you. You're going to be amazed at what you see. Now, I have been serving Jesus in one form or another in the ministry, closing in on 50 years. And I can say that this has been true in my life. Uh, I was amazed early on that God would use me. And I can say that it was nothing compared with some of the ways that I find God has still used me and still works through me. I mean, I've worked on a book for years about my life called Just a Dumb Kid from Nebraska. That's all I really consider myself to be. An ordinary kid raised by his grandparents in a little town in Nebraska. And all along the way, I find myself sitting back, seeing where I'm at, with a kind of a smile on my face saying, man, God, what kind of a sense of humor do you have that this dumb kid from Nebraska should be in this position? I'll give you one example. Being in Africa a few years ago in Nigeria and being asked to speak at the first night of the Million Man Crusade and sitting up on a big platform and looking out on a sea of faces that they say numbered somewhere between 250 to 300,000 people, I remember sitting there and saying to myself, Oh, Lord, this is crazy. This is crazy. What does some white kid from Nebraska have to say to a quarter of a million or more Nigerians? You know what the answer to the question was? Jesus. Now, I got to tell you that when I, I, I didn't hear that out loud, it was like, what you have to tell them about is Jesus. And I thought, I'm going to stand up for 45 minutes and just going to go, Jesus, and hope they get it. I couldn't even begin to tell you today what I spoke about. But yet, I would have never imagined God would ever take a dumb kid from Nebraska and put him in that kind of position. Well, you may not have. A story that maybe almost outlandish is that. But you know, when you stop and think about it, have you ever found yourself in a position and afterwards you kind of wondered, man, what was I doing there? Why did God put me there? And maybe days after or years after, you find out exactly why. 
Now, my life hasn't been easy by any stretch of the imagination. I haven't been perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I have been blessed beyond my ability to imagine. And I've been used by God in ways that I have never, would never have thought possible. And more significantly, when I was writing this message, it suddenly dawned on me that here I am, 70 years old. And sometimes I feel like God is just getting started with me. That there is still something out there that God wants me to do, that God has in mind for me to be a part of, to be accomplished. And what I find myself is that going along the way, you have really interesting partners that you get to work with along the way to share Jesus with other people. So I'd say wherever you are in your relationship with God, wherever you are, it's just the beginning. God is ready to take you to new heights, uh, to open up the heavens, to pour out blessings. I mean, so much that you wouldn't even have room to contain it. It's a relationship with a living, loving, lasting, all-powerful God. And guess what? His name is Jesus. And this Jesus wants to be your friend. He's looking for you so that you can enjoy a relationship with him. And he's looking within you because he sees the person that you can be, not just the person you used to be or the person you think you are. And he's looking ahead of you because he has big plans for your life and you can do great things in his name. All I can say is in closing is this, come and see, because you'll be absolutely amazed. God bless us all in that journey. Amen.